You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can have a seat, church. Good morning, Resurrection. Good morning. What's up, everybody? We're baptizing again. Check that out. Um, you know, well, I'll tell you a little bit more about this later, but uh, we, we baptized, if you weren't here last Sunday, we baptized six of our own kids, and uh, one of our, another kid in our church, Barrett, said, I want to be baptized. His parents were like, do you really? Do you know what that means? He's like, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to him. I'm like, well, let's get him baptized. So there it is. Anyways, um, what a powerful thing to even just experience a baptism, that God moves in that even in our lives. Um, so we're thankful for that. Well, we are, we're still in our series in the letters of First and Second Timothy. Paul is writing to his ministry protege, Timothy, this younger uh, minister in this first century church. And the series that we're, uh, that we're in, we're calling it Peace and Quiet. And what we're looking at is uh, what parts of the gospel actually kind of upend and confront the American dream. The assumption that we all kind of take on, here's the good life. Here's, our, here's our, our understanding of what peace and quiet really looks like. What does the gospel have to say about that? That's a dangerous question. Well, Paul writes this morning um, to Timothy. We get to kind of see it and hear these words for ourselves. And in particular, he kind of zeroes in on um, the, the thing that nobody wants to talk about. Like, can we just leave money out of this? Um, Paul zeroes in on it. He talks about the love of money and its power to seduce us and drag us into ruin and destruction, away from the heart of God. So we're gonna deal with it this morning. Well, it should be comforting to you all to know that uh, we're not the only ones that struggle with money. We're not the only ones whose blood pressure kind of goes up when the pastor says money, you know, from the pulpit. This first century church, um, they had a very similar issue. Um, a lot of these folks, it was kinda, it, we, we read from Paul's letter to Timothy, what's being implied there is a lot of them are, uh, are obsessed with money. Their hearts have been gripped. They don't possess money. Money possesses them. That's what Paul is writing about. And they become full of themselves. Some wear their paycheck like a necklace, like a status symbol in the church. And in the church, that's what's, that's what's crazy about it. Of all places, wouldn't you think? In the church, there would be a different kind of economy. There would be a different way of seeing the world, like the kingdom of God would actually be breaking in in the church and his people. Well, it is, but we still struggle with money and wealth, self-worth. And the world might say to us, this is honestly, right, we can admit this. The world says to us, look, get what's yours. Secure for yourself enough so that you never have to be in need. You don't have to be dependent on other people. Secure your own. Look out for yourself. And if it's convenient and it works for you, you know, be nice to other people or be generous. Put something on Facebook about how you did it. You know, make sure other people know. <laughs> but only if it's convenient, only if it works in, in your budget and you just got like tons of extra and you're feeling that that's what you should do. The gospel gives us something quite different, doesn't it? We know it does. We're gonna see to get today in the, in the sacrament of baptism, the generosity of God to an undeserving people. We can't walk away from these waters, from this table, and not be changed by the abundant generosity of God. Amen? Amen. The gospel preaches something quite different. Well, Michelle and I, we, we actually find a great joy in tithing, giving God 10% of our income. We still do, but it wasn't always this way. So 
instead of airing out anybody else's dirty laundry, I'm going to air out our own. Um, once, uh, it, was, it was about nine, ten years ago, a, a dear buddy of mine who was a pastor of the church that we're going to, he, Rick, Rick Gall, good friend of ours still, he, he, he sat me down at a Panera Bread, and he said, Sean, look, um, I'm, I'm looking at your life, and you're involved in youth ministry, you're discipling these teenagers, you, you guys come to church regularly, you, you, you're like really wonderful people, everything, it kind of looks like, you know, you're a Christian, except when it comes to money, brother, can I just tell you, like, you're not a Christian. I was like, oh, and in Panera Bread, no less, you know, over my, my, what, that broccoli cheddar soup with the bread bowl? Oh my gosh, that stuff's so good. But brother, about your paycheck, your, your money, there's something about this that you exclude from the Christian life. What's up? Can you explain that to me? Rick, in his, in his so soft way, his loving way, just confronted us about our money and the way that we weren't worshiping God with it. How in reality, functionally, we would say with our mouth, we, we believe in Jesus, we know God's looking out for us, we know that he takes care of us, but functionally, practically, every day in the real world, we didn't really confess that. We didn't practice that. We didn't really believe that. If you want to know what someone believes, look at the way they live, right? Look at their checkbook. You'll find out what they really put their trust in. That confrontation, um, it changed things for us. Um, it wasn't all at first we could just like throw down 10% because Michelle and I had arranged our budget in such a way, we just didn't have space for that. But we decided that day we were going to make space. And if, and if it took sacrificing all kinds of other things, then so be it. We had to rearrange even our financial life to be converted, to believe the gospel. We couldn't exclude that anymore. Well, Paul is dealing with the same thing in this early church. He's dealing with the same thing, the same uh, mis, mis, uh, misoriented, misguided priorities. He's disordered priorities in people's lives, these Christians. And he is calling to Timothy, saying, look, go to your church, tell them, just like my brother Rick did to me, go to, tell them to be transformed by the gospel, the whole of you. Don't leave anything out. Bring all of yourself to be transformed by the gospel. By the gospel. Well, we're going to look at that this morning, and if you turn your Bibles, if you have them with you, if you don't have your Bibles, bring your Bibles. There's a bunch of Bibles in the back. We want to be about people of the book, and in this quarter, this fourth quarter, we're actually um, we're, we're looking at study, and we're memorizing scriptures, so have those scriptures in front of you, and in a bit, uh, uh, are, those some, are there some folks who memorized that scripture? I know there are. I'm going to invite you up later, so get ready. They're going to, they're going to recite this passage for us in 1 Timothy 6, but let me read this for you. Paul takes Timothy in a very countercultural direction with, with regards to money. Listen to this. He says, But as for you, man, man of God, woman of God, as for you, shun all of this, the status quo, the way the world does things. Shun this. Instead, here's the way of the kingdom pursue righteousness. Do what's right, what's godly. Pursue godliness, faith, love endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Don't slack off. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Remember who you are in baptism? You are Christ's own. 
You received all of these things. You haven't earned any of this on your own. You can't even do this very well on your own. But in Christ, because you've been joined with him, you can pursue what's right, what's godly. You can pursue faith and love and endurance and gentleness in a world that seems to be pushing back on all of those things. You can pursue and live in the way of Jesus because you've entered into his life in baptism and you're sustained by him at the altar. Amen. This is what Paul urges to to Timothy. Now, but if this was all that Timothy, or that Paul wrote to Timothy, this sounds like a nice little bumper sticker we could put on a shirt, do all these things, people, and you'll, you know, life will be good, right? If this was all Paul wrote to us, this, uh, this like really well-intentioned, inspirational, go get them, you know, pat on the butt kind of go team speech, we would, be, we would be lost. This would be almost useless if this is all Paul wrote. Come on, guys, try harder. Thank God it's not all he wrote. Do you guys want to hear the rest? This is the gospel. Here's the good news. Get ready. Everybody sit up. Here we go. Come on. What Paul writes next gives us a gospel context. He actually paints a different story of reality. The world we live in, how we think the real world works, this kind of world. Paul says, I'm urging you to do all these things. Not in that world. That world does, actually does not exist. Here's, here's what's true. Here's where history is headed. Here's what the gospel says the world we live in. In the presence of God, verse 13, who gives life to all things. Notice what he's not saying. Does money give life to all things? No. In the presence of God, who gives life to all things? And of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you in that context, in that reality. We don't live in that world in Austin. I mean, in reality, that's what, the, that's what reality is. But in Austin, we have kind of a different uh, modus operandi. We have this kind of different status quo, right? We do things different here in Texas, in the world, really. Humanity does. We live in a world in which God is dead. God, you believe in God? Poor you. You need a crutch. Money makes the world go round, right? That's the reality we seem to live in. But this isn't true. Praise God that's not true, that God is dead and money makes the world go around. That is not the way reality works in the kingdom. We live in the presence of the living God who is in power, who is guiding all of history to its perfect and fulfilled end in him. That's the world we live in. He's the one who charges all of reality. He isn't somewhere else, but he actually sustains us with his own life. This is the reality that we live in. God breathes breath into your lungs. Where do you think you get that life? Does money give you that life? Does a dead God breathe breathe life into your lungs, get you up in the morning, create the new day for you? Who does that? Tell me. Paul's not done. He keeps going. In the presence of Christ Jesus, who spoke truth to power, who stood up to Pontius Pilate, the governor within the Roman Empire, didn't give an inch, didn't budge a single inch, who stood truth, is facing truth, who stood before the powers of the world that spoke truth to him, unintimidated, didn't give an inch. Why? Because Jesus knew who was really in power in that confrontation. He was. I'm urging you, Paul writes, in that context, in that world, verse 13 and 14 says, don't slack off, basically. Don't give up. Keep this command. Be faithful to the gospel. Live in this reality. Persevere in faithfulness to God. Don't serve money. It won't give you what God gives you. It'll only drag you away from the heart of God and rather serve God, be faithful to him and reject the idol that is money. 
And this th the strange thing, I think, every time we talk about money at resurrection, and we're not afraid, if you're here for the first time and you've never heard money talked about from the pulpit, welcome, this, we do this. And what's funny is the lectionary, our scheduled readings, they just kind of serve it up to us like all the time. And instead of like avoiding it or looking away from it, we go, yeah, this was like really important. Jesus talked about this all the time, a third of his parables about money. We're gonna look this square in the face and deal with it. But the thing about money is every time we preach about it, it's, it's really never just about money, is it? It's not about money. It's actually something way deeper than just money. There's this kind of deeper hunger even still that drives us to look to money for security and stability, nourishment, comfort. We want to live. There's nothing wrong with wanting to live. There's nothing wrong with wanting to thrive or having enough to be safe and secure. There's nothing wrong with feeling safe, being fulfilled, having purpose in your life. But we, when we look to money to make those things right in us, that's where the perversion begins. That's where it becomes twisted and not as it ought to be. And we think, and this is where kind of the American dream tends to, or kind of the way we do things in Austin, we think if we get that job, if we get that paycheck, if we get that thing, if we get that person, that somehow our self-worth will be fulfilled and we will finally arrive at that place that we understand to be peace and quiet. How many super wealthy people do you know have ultimate peace and quiet in their life? We, I mean, let's be honest. That's a tough thing to have both, isn't it? We know money doesn't eventually lead us to peace and quiet. We know that. The love of money leads us far from the heart of God. Paul knows this. He sees this. He knows that the love of money goes deeper. That's why he says it's like the root of all things that are all, all so many evil things come out of a desire, out of a love for money. It replaces our love of God in our heart. We get a love of money, this idol. When wealth kind of, and this is the way it works, don't you think, that wealth kind of nudges its way to the top? We don't wake up one morning and saying, money, you're gonna be God in my life today. No, money just has this way of kind of weaseling in all the way to the top of the stack and governing and making us, you know, we base our decisions and the way we live and do life on those things kind of almost in the back of our mind. And it twists us and malforms us. We become the kinds of people, and this is true, any injustice is going on in the world, any violence is going on in the world, it's, money's not far from it, right? The love of money is not very far away. We become the kinds of people when we love money that spawn injustice, oppress others, fear, greed. Those are kind of what we, that's, that's just what's common. Disdain for other people who stand in between us and finally having that money that we need, that greed that possesses us. This is the opposite, friends, of the way God does things in the world. This is the opposite of the kingdom of God. And this is why Paul writes to Timothy something very, very different. Listen to how he describes. Instead of all that, as for you, man of God, he says, show all this, pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight. Hold on to eternal life. That's the opposite of the world of greed. This is the way of the kingdom, not fear, not worry about where you're going to be taken care of or get your next meal, not greed, not even neglecting the needs of other people because you don't have enough for yourself. That's not the way of the kingdom. It's not the world of the gospel. Remember, essentially, he says, who's in charge here? The way this works. Remember who stood up to the powers. Remember who paid the price at the cross for you when you couldn't afford it. Remember who rose from the grave on the third day when you were totally helpless. 
Remember who secured to you, for you, the wealth of all heaven for your sake. Jesus. He's the one. And knowing him, that is true wealth. Knowing God, being known by him, following him, tasting him, being a part of his life, that, that is living, friends, right? That is wealth. That is wealth. And it may be normal for us in Austin to kind of run the rat race for wealth and greed and money, but something happens to us when we do that, when we opt into that, when we decide not the gospel but the way of Austin, we, something changes in us. It's not just something we're participating in. Something actually becomes of us. We gradually get buried in our greed. Our heart is darkened. And we live under this kind of keep us up at night worry all the time thinking about the bottom line and how we don't quite have enough. We go where the money is. That's how we make decisions. Not, Jesus, where are you? Peace of God, lead me. No, where's the paycheck? Where's the money? Where are we going to be comfortable? This may be the way that our neighborhood does things, but this is not the way that God does things. When we follow Jesus, we see not only true security, like real security, real life. We see not only the, the wealth of heaven and the forgiveness of sins, but we experience the freedom from greed and sin and all these things that drag us into darkness and twist us. We're actually free from those things in the gospel. That's the good news. We don't have to live that way. And in Jesus, and this is like the most surprising thing. No one would think this, following this first century rabbi, this Jewish rabbi who conquered death in the grave, that following him, somehow we would find ultimately that peace and quiet that all of us long for. We find it in him. So I want to urge you this morning, as a response, join the church in the way the church worships. Because we can't just talk about generosity. We've actually got to do it. We can talk about being sorry for things or, man, we should change that in our life. But until we actually change our behavior, there isn't true repentance. So for us, every week, we stand and, and we offer our tithes and offerings, the first fruits of our labor, as an act of repentance. God, we have like put too much in this. We have made too much out of money. It isn't you, God. And so we worship you with it. We repent. And also it becomes not just this like, it's never like this guilty, burdensome kind of thing, but it's an act of repentance that God receives and makes for us this life-giving act of worship. God, in you is all wealth, not money. So I invite you. That's like a really practical way. Tithe. Work toward a tithe or something. Give your money away. Give it to others who are in need in your life. You know who they are. God may be even speaking to you right now. You know this person. I put them in your path. Don't worry about how they're going to use the money or whether or not you have enough. Say, God, what would you like me to do here? And then obey. It's really that simple. Another way, even in, the, in, the, in our family, when we sit at the dinner table, we pray this in the back of the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. There's a prayer at meals. It's wonderful. It says, and it gives thanks for all the food that we have and all these blessings. And then it says, make us mindful of the needs of others. What a great way to teach our children generosity the gospel that has set us free from worrying about greed and if we have enough, but actually, God, thank you that you've given us enough in your son, Jesus. Now make us the kinds of people that notice the needs of other people. Make us a generous people. Rez, let's, let's not be a greedy people. Let's not be a people who live in fear. We don't have to be. Because of Jesus Christ, who has broke the chains of sin and death and darkness, we are free to live lives apart from greed and fear and darkness and sin, but free to live life with him and the generosity of God. We don't have to be full of ourselves. We don't have to be obsessed with money and possessed by it. But here today, 
we get an opportunity to turn to him once again and be filled by his generosity in our life. Let's overturn in our hearts that, that impulse that we have, that race for wealth. We don't need that. And it'll actually drag us into places that we don't want to go, make us the kinds of people that are far from what God desires for us. Let's make decisions about where Jesus is leading us, where the, where the peace of God is taking us, what the Spirit is doing, not where the money is. How boring, how lifeless is that? Let's be a people who respond to the invitation of God. This morning, as we experience the generosity of God in the waters of baptism, um, what, what a great reminder for us of the gifts that God gives us. And what, a, what an amazing thing for us as family to take one of our own and, and not only immerse them in the generosity of God, but also be the kinds of people who our kids are looking up to and say, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Let us be those demonstrations of God's generosity as we put our faith in him and give and worship freely, knowing that we have been forgiven of all of our sins through Jesus, that we've been set free from greed and that burden of darkness, that, that worry that mantle that wears on us. No, we don't have to be those people before our children. We can be the kinds of people who respond to the generosity of God this morning. Let's take a moment of silence, and I'm going to come back up, and I'm going to invite us to come around the baptismal font. But I really want us to do this. I want us to ask, God, where's your peace? What's your invitation for me this morning, and how do I respond? Amen? Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.